back to Your Words Against Mine, a competitive reading podcast between siblings. I'm your brother co-host, Thomas Dempsey. And I'm your sister co-host, Elizabeth Connor. And we got some more reading to talk about today, as always. And as always, we're going to hold off on that for a minute while we start things off by talking about what we haven't been reading. So, what you been up to, Elizabeth? You know, like this... When was the last... We recorded, what was it, like President's Day weekend? Yeah, it was like two weeks okay. ago. Okay. So, like President's, wait, President's Day weekend, like we got an extended break. So we were out like that Monday through Wednesday and I didn't have to go back to work till Thursday. Yeah. And now, this upcoming week... We're also going to get, like, a little, like, St. Patrick's Day break. I don't really know what else to call it. Because, mm. like, we've got, we've got a teacher work day on Thursday, and then we're just out of school on Friday, like, just because. All right. So I've got, like, another vacation coming up. Um, sure. And... Gonna get your drink on? Huh? Gonna get your drink on? You know, like, the day after St. Patrick's Day, there's a St. Patrick's Day festival... Uh, downtown and um, I'm not gonna lie like I am probably gonna go even if the only thing I do is buy a $14 bag of green kettle corn oh that's fun because there's a local kettle corn like company I guess or it's I don't know it's these people who make it out of the back of their truck it's really good Um, okay and for St. Patrick's Day they like they put in like the green colored sugar to make it green. Yeah. And um, do you remember that popcorn place at the mall that we used to go to like all the time? Oh, I miss that place. Yeah. It, it, it's that kind of popcorn. Nice. So like, I, I didn't go last year or I haven't gone like the past couple years because obviously COVID. But um, yeah, like I'm going this year, even if the only thing I get is the bag of popcorn. I might even get two bags of popcorn because like I freaking love this stuff. Um, yeah. and it is expensive, but I don't care. Okay. And hey. so anyway, that's coming up. All right. Um, we got a technology refresh at work. Oh yeah. I remember hearing about this. So Thursday, um, I had to go normally I'm at my secondary school Thursday, Thursday. I had to go back to my home school after, after work. And, um, I was put in a situation I have not been in in a very long time. Okay. It wasn't like weird or creepy or anything. It just, I noticed it. Um, yeah. And I traded in my, my MacBook and my iPad and they gave me a new MacBook and a new iPad. Nice. And, um, so you're, you're recording on the new hardware. I am. I'm currently recording on the new hardware, which for the most part, the, I, the MacBook does not, seem to be like ridiculously different. The only differences that I noticed, first of all, they put my MacBook in a case. So like it already comes in a case. Um, cool. the touchpad is bigger, like significantly bigger. Yeah. And there's no USB ports. Oh, boo. It only uses USB C. Oh, okay. They had to give me, and, and so part of my equipment was they gave me a uh, an adapter dongle, which that is currently what my microphone is hooked into. 
Oh, that 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 worked out then. Right, but I mean, the only yeah. thing it's got is two USB-C ports, and then like a headphone jack, and that's it. So what's going on your way? Yeah, my um, couple of weeks have been pretty steady. Uh, I've been putting in a lot of hours at work. Been filling my evenings with book learning and uh, Elden Ring, which cool. I've been enjoying a fair bit. Awesome. Uh, had a good bit of uh, shopping done in the last week. Monday, I went out and bought new tires for my car because this was actually, I think, maybe a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But I got called over to work at the Woods Crossing store, and uh, the place where I get my tires done is just down the street there. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, it's been a little while since I've got my tires rotated. Maybe I should take the car in to see what needs doing. And basically, uh, I was getting on the verge of like two tires essentially needing replacing. Mm-hmm. And the other pair, like still having a couple of whatever on them, but basically could do with a update. Mm-hmm. So I put in for... Uh, a full set of Michelins, and those should last me another 60,000 miles, they say. Yeah. But uh, we'll see about that. Then, uh, late, like the next day, I, the, my prescription contacts ran out, and I'd waited till the last minute to put in an order for a replacement, because I thought maybe I'd be able to go to, uh, go to the pharmacy and pick them up there. Mm-hmm. But they were going to have to send off for them regardless, so I just ordered them online and did that. And the last thing I dropped some money down on was a bit of book shopping. Went by Mr. K's there on Lawrence Road. And, you know, they have a whole, like, row of shelves at the very front of the store underneath, like, the w- the front window. Yeah. And that's actually where they keep a lot of their... Uh, uh, special edition and first edition books, mm-hmm. like the uh, like the big hard ca- uh, cover folio types and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I found several, one of which I'm not going to tell you about just yet because it might make for good uh, content at some point in the future. Okay. But uh, the other two books I got, one was a coffee table book called Hiroshige. It's a collection of wood print or wood block print uh works of art from like the 19th century japan mm-hmm. and uh it looks real pretty and i got it for like 10 bucks so i thought that was a good deal yeah and the other one was a uh hardback first edition of uh a neil stevenson novel called cryptonomicon Mm-hmm. He's the guy who wrote uh, Snow Crash. Yeah. That we read a, f- a few weeks back. Yeah. And uh, this was the book he wrote after that. And the first edition was in pretty good condition and uh, was for a good price compared to what some sellers on eBay and where all were uh, advertising it for. So I figured I'd pick it up now. And if ever in the future the opportunity presents itself to get it autographed. That'd be a nice little collector's item. Yeah. Yeah, so that's been sort of the high points for me. Oh, I just remembered something else. This is kind of like, it hasn't really taken over my life, but 
Right. In a way, it has. Um, how? I'm just. How wrapped up in like the TikTok universe are you? I mean, I scroll it, but I don't like go all in. I would say it's like maybe a couple sessions a day when I find the time. Okay, so it's not like you've got like a. It's not like you have like content creators that like you follow and you are like invested in. No, not okay. really. So I started like a secondary TikTok account that like, to me, I was like, this is going to be like my uh, business TikTok account for, you know, when my micro influencing takes off. Okay. Don't, don't laugh. Sure. I realize how ridiculous that sounds. But anyway, I have this secondary. So I was like, okay, well, in order to get followers, like you have to be engaged through this account. So I was trying to like get my for you page to look as close as possible to my my for you page on my current or like on my regular TikTok account because I like the content that I get there. Yes. Well, I was scrolling through and I see on a co- I see a couple people talk about all the drama that's been going on on TikTok between some creators and I'm kind of like, what are they talking about? I don't I don't know what they're talking about. Well, then they mention um one of the content creators, his username is Modern Warrior. His real name is Lance Sosi. And he is okay. a, he's an indigenous American um, from the Navajo tribe. And he, yeah. a lot of his content is like basically trolling, uh, like ignorant white people. Yeah. So he's also kind of known as like the Hey Colonizer guy because that's how he starts a lot of his commentary. Okay. It's like, Hey Colonizer. Um, yeah. So anyway, modern warrior and this other content creator, whose name is Chelsea Hart. Apparently they have been like talking via direct messaging, text messages, phone calls, things like that for like a year and things got romantic about six months back. Okay. Okay. So he lives in Colorado. She lives in Alaska she flew down after six months of a romantic online relationship. First time they've ever met in person. They had unprotected sexy time. She flies back to Canada. Uh-oh. Less than 24 hours after that encounter, she's on TikTok and she realizes that, like, he's not exclusive to her because he has posted a TikTok with another woman that he's on a date with. Okay. And, like... So then she starts going, so anyway, she posts like a, you know, like an angry, like outlash video. She's posting like screenshots of the text messages about him asking to see her in lingerie. And, and, and then Mm. she says, and then like, she says she's a victim of SA because she was denied informed consent and the, and TikTok has blown up. Oh, and I've got to say, I am so invested in this. Wow, that uh, sounds a lot like a. I'll, I'll be frank. That sounds like it'd be a bit too much for me to deal with. It's it's a lot. I'm not gonna lie. He so so modern warrior or Lance. He has um, he's already lawyered up. People are you know, uh, people who are making and he's already filing defamation suits. Yeah. Um, so like that's already happening. 
I don't know if Chelsea's gotten a lawyer yet, but she needs one. And it's just a big old mess. Big old mess. And I'm so invested in it. And I've got to tell you something hilarious, but it's like got bad language in it. So I I can't tell you while we're recording that's actually going to make it into the podcast. Right. So I'll tell you on the break. Okay. Well, uh, if we're going to get to a break, we're going to have to do some bark talking first. So let's get into that. What all you been reading in the last couple weeks? So I started a new series. Let me double check. Let me double check and make sure. Well, I mean, I did start a new series, but like in addition to that one, um, let me check. Let me make sure all four of these books have been in the same series because I don't know that they have been. I went by when I was in Mr. K's. I saw they had a rack with all of the uh, Bridgerton novels on it. And uh, I didn't pick any up, but I figured if I wanted to get back into that series at any point this year, it looks like the demand has died down. Yeah, um, because season two coming out March 25th. All right. Um, That's just around the bend. All right, so I found I found it, and yes, all four of the other books that I read are from the same series. Um, so I can just talk about those real quick. Right. So the series that I started is called is the Red Planet Dragons, Red Planet Dragons of Taj, T A J S S. I guess that's how you pronounce it. Yes. By Miranda Martin. Okay. And so, um, anyway, kind of like the, like the Ice Barbarian series, like all of these are like the dragon this and the dragon that, and it's all very, it's all set up very similarly. Um, right. So basically what this series is about is there is a generational spaceship floating through space that departed from earth at this point in the space travel three or four generations ago. Um, yes. Because Earth became in, uninhabitable. So they built uh, this generational ship and they're sending it through space to a planet that they had sent out a team that they had like previously sent out a team to um, to like terraform and to like make it livable for humans. And now they're sending along this generation ship. And basically the plan was that this generation ship would house six generations of humans before it actually gets to the terraformed planet. Yeah. Well, space pirates. Ah, space pirates. Space pirates. Um, generational, like the, the ship breaks apart into pieces, crash lands, pieces of it crash land on the planet of Taj. Um, and it is, it's extremely uninhabitable. Um, the storyline is very similar to the Ice Barbarian series in that uh, it is uninhabitable. It is basically uninhabitable for for humans because it's uh, it's a desert planet. Um, there's a running joke between among the humans as to whether to call it Tatooine or Vulcan. Ah. Uh. Um, and it's very dry. It's very easy to get dehydrated. The temperatures are ridiculous. Um, and in order to 
make life easier to deal with, you have to consume, uh, you have to consume a plant. And once right. you consume the plant, but the thing is, is the plant is also addictive. So once you uh-huh. consume the plant, you have to stay on the planet because you have to have access to it. Okay. And it, and it doesn't, and like this plant does not grow anywhere else in the universe. Right. So it's kind of like the dune as well. Yeah. Um, so like the section of the ship that, uh, the, the women from the first four books have crash landed on, um, like they, they have like formed a, they have formed a committee or they have formed like a, a panel, uh, from different, of different humans. And then they add two more characters onto the panel or onto the, I can't remember what it's actually called, but it's a panel. Um, that like runs things council. That's what it is. They add two more characters to the council. Uh, but before they form this council, they are sending humans out to like just survey and see if there's any kind of plant life to see if there's any like water sources, things like that. And in the first book, I can't remember her name. Oh, Callista, Callista. So in the first book, Callista has gone, she's a botanist. And so she goes out to like try to find some plants in a water source and she becomes severely dehydrated and passes out in the desert. Nobody knows where she is except for a native of the planet named Layden, who is a dragon person. Dragon man. Yeah, he's a dragon man. He's like seven foot tall. He's super built. He's got scales. He's got a tail. He's got wings. All right. Yeah. So he finds her. He rescues her. He takes her to an oasis. Um, he basically like starts trying to show her how to survive. Uh, and the thing is, is that like these dragon people, um, they're called the Zamaj. And the Zamaj okay. are native to the, the planet of Taj. And there was basically this like terrible intergalactic war where... Taj was like the focal point because of the plant that is addictive. Yes. And so basically all of humanity, except for like a handful of Zamaj have been, have just been decimated. All their technology is Uh, gone. Um, all the women are gone. Everything's gone. Okay. Well, then of course you find out because it's a romance series, you find out that these dragon people and the human women are compatible Okay. So then, so then the series is about them, like, uh, about, you know, kind of navigating, like, like among the humans, there's this like humanity first movement, um, which, Mm. you know, has got some parallels. I'll let you, I'll let you figure out what those are, uh, to like some real life situations. And then you've got the people who were like, look, we're all trying to survive, like shut up and deal with it. So anyway, that's what those four books were about. Okay. And was there anything else? Mm-mm. All right. Nope, except for the uh, book we've got to talk about. Okay. Yeah, in that case, I can talk about the other stuff I've been reading. I uh, finished two other books that I had um, uh, started previously. Uh, one book I'd, I've been reading on and off all the way back in January. And the other one I started about a month ago. And uh, I can talk about them. They're both, it's kind of uh, funny how 
I didn't intend for this, but they both kind of like thematically link up mm-hmm. in that they're both uh, sort of grappling with uh, themes of fascism okay. in their stories. The first book is called Hard to Be a God by Arkady and Boris Sturgatsky. It's a uh, Russian sci-fi novel from, I want to say, the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're familiar with Star Trek, right? Yes. You know what the Prime Directive is? No. It's where uh, Star Starfleet, the uh, people on the show, whenever they encounter like a uh, underdeveloped alien civilization, they can't interfere with its development. Oh, okay. So like uh, they can go on the planet and investigate or what all, but they can't basically let any of the people in that alien civilization know about them or their technology or any of that. So... Hard to be a god is basically uh, a extended exercise in the um, the prime directive, wherein it follows these. Uh, b- they call themselves historians because their mission is basically to inhabit uh, alien civilizations and chronicle their development across the years. Mm-hmm. And the alien civilization at the core of this book is basically uh is basically identical to earth like circa the 1400s mm-hmm. or the 1300s so basically medieval europe essentially and uh the main character who goes by the alias don rumata is managed to instantiate himself into society as kind of like a an like a a noble lord figure and he goes about interacting with the other nobilities and uh, trying in whatever way he can to help advance society towards a more like modern and civilized like uh, direction, mm-hmm. all while like trying to skirt around the uh, dictates of his mission to not interfere. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, so the crux of the story or the crux of the narrative is basically that this kingdom that he's inhabiting is under the uh, sway of uh, emergent fascism because mm-hmm. it's essentially a uh, a feudal monarchy uh, at the start of things but then like one of the uh, lords who's like at the hand of the king is starting to foment dis like foment a coup basically and uh try to take things over and implement his own sort of uh power structure and the whole book is just sort of like that central tension of seeing all this stuff play out viewing it like weighing it against like the supposed inevitability of historical uh progress versus like personal uh responsibility to intervene Mm -hmm. and uh it's just it's surprisingly readable like there's a lot of like action and plot that goes on yeah so uh i didn't find it all that hard to um get invested in despite having taken like the better part of a month to read it Mm-hmm. I think it was more just other reading uh, obligations sort of coming and going, but 
I really enjoyed it. And Good. Uh, yeah, they also wrote another book called uh, Roadside Picnic, which if there's any uh, cinephiles out there will know was the basis for a Russian sci-fi no- uh, film called Stalker, mm-hmm. which is basically about these uh, this trio of guys who go out into this wasteland that has been altered by an alien presence to seek uh, some sort of wish-granting power. Mm-hmm. And that's a really that's a really good movie, and I'm intrigued to see what the book's about as well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, I enjoyed reading that. The other book I had to read was a bit more severe, and I think as a result, not as uh, easy to read. Um, there's something about the way it was written that I found uh, a bit more difficult to parse in that a lot of the uh, just like pure body of the text is all just like first person internal narration and dialogue of the main character for, with other people. Mm-hmm. So it's not the most like propulsive narrative and by virtue of what the story is that stands to reason because the name of the book is called The Passenger. It was written by uh, Ulrich Alexander Borschwitz mm-hmm. and uh, it's set in I want to say like 1938 and it takes place right after uh, Kristallnacht mm-hmm. which was the like the sort of violent overthrow of uh, Jewish businesses and uh like religious communities by the Nazis, mm-hmm. and it follows this uh, Jewish merchant named Siebelman, who's uh, basically Aryan passing. Uh, he's described in the in the book as not looking Jewish, so people don't know at a glance mm-hmm. that uh, that he's of like Jewish descent. So mm-hmm. it follows him as he's like fleeing the seizure of his apartment and the dissolution of his business as he's attempting to escape Germany for Paris mm-hmm. where his son is living and by way of trying to find a way out of the country he's basically traveling around with every all the money he has and he's just riding trains everywhere and more often than not, just riding them sort of back and forth between various regions and cities. Mm-hmm. And uh, so much of the book just takes place with his own internal monologue, his own uh, like thoughts and emotions mm-hmm. at any given moment. And then, of course, the conversations that he gets into with other travelers and people he meets along the way and trying to find a way out of this uh, situation. Mm-hmm. So, it's a. I, I I thought it was a good book. Like I said, it wasn't the most readable, and y'all, there's bound to be some discomfort with knocking a book with this sort of subject matter uh, on technical uh, mat like counts. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's definitely a valuable read. It's just uh, not the most accommodating, I guess, and. One thing that I found a little frustrating while reading it, and it, this is obviously inherent to the tension of the book, is that uh, the main character is not under full presumption of essentially what 
the stakes of his situation are. Because mm -hmm. at this point in history, there were the concentration camps, but there were no death camps. Yeah. So, like, there's, and there's, like, mention of the book of people, like, being released from camps and such. And so, as dire as his situation is, like, just through his conduct and through the way people are talking about things, there's no sense that, like, the stakes are fully life and death yet. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of plays out like a dramatic irony. Mm-hmm. Like, you, the reader in the modern day, know how bad things are yet to get and that sort of hangs over the tension of the book like with regards to whether or not this character gets uh, captured by mm -hmm. the police and so I figured that was like a conscious part of the book and the writing of it then I looked at the foreword of the book which I'd skipped over because I didn't want to, whenever I'm reading a book that has a foreword or anything that details plot elements, Yeah. I try to save that for afterwards so I don't spoil anything for myself. This book was written in 1939. Oh. Right. And the author was uh, German, uh, likewise of Jewish descent, in, I want to say 1939 or some point after the emergence uh, uh, after world war ii broke out mm -hmm. he was uh imprisoned in J england which i guess at the time they had this thing sort of similar to the uh japanese internment camps in america mm -hmm. but it, in england for german uh people of german descent so in 1939 he was imprisoned and sent to a uh labor camp in australia Mm-hmm. And then in 1942, or at some point uh, later on, when they started to allow Germans to fight for the uh, the Allies, mm -hmm. he was sailing back to uh, Europe when the boat he was on was sunk by a German uh, submarine and he died. Mm-hmm. So this book was one of the only two novels he published before his death. And it was out of ger print in Germany for like decades before re fairly recently, like a few years ago, it got a German translation or got a German printing rather. And I think a new English language translation. Mm -hmm. So just the understanding that this book was both like as it reads today Mm -hmm. almost like more like powerfully than it would necessarily would have like when it first came out okay it's just kind of uh kind of fascinating what was the author's name again uh Ulrich Berschwitz okay uh Ulrich Alexander Bosch B-O-S-C-H-W-I-T-Z okay so that's uh most of what all I've, else I've been reading, and we'll be able to talk about the last little bit uh, when we get back from the break. Yeah. Hi, and welcome back to Your Words Against Mine, a competitive reading podcast between siblings. Um, so we are now back from our break, and before the break, Thomas and I had talked about what we had read, what we had not read, and now we are getting into our challenge. So Thomas, what was our challenge this time? 
Our reading challenge for this week was to read the first book in the Aubrey and Marturin series by Patrick O'Brien, which is called Master and Commander. And yes. It is a book series that I have had on my shelf for the better part of two to three years now. Found uh, all of it at a used book sale and uh, I've been meaning to get into it. Finally took this as an opportunity to take the plunge. And uh, before we go any further, uh, did we both read it? I did. I did. All right, then. Okay. So, oh, goodness. Sorry, my foot, my earbuds just yelled at me. So, uh, yeah, on that note, then, uh, if you want to lead us into the discussion of it, you can tell us, uh, did you like it? I, That's a no. No, it's not a no. It. Had I not had to read it for this challenge, I yeah. don't I don't know that I would have finished it. But that doesn't mean I didn't like uh, it. Okay. It Yeah. Like basically you've got to get through chapter two. <laughs> and yeah, it, the first two chapters are like the first eighty pages. Yeah. So like once you get through <laughs> once you get through chapter two, like you're 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 pretty good. I don't know. Uh yeah. Once they're on the boat, basically. I don't know. You you remember that scene with a? Uh, is it Maturin or is it Maturin? I've been pronouncing it Marturin. Marturin. Okay. So um, you know that scene with a uh, Marturin and um, is it Mowl? Yeah. Where like they go up to like you know like the bird's eye or whatever it is and like. Yeah, where they're describing all the various parts of the boat. Yeah, that was pretty tedious. Yeah. So like maybe yeah, uh, maybe maybe this chapter what is that chapter three? Right. So like maybe you've got to get through like the first three chapters, and if you can get through through the first three three chapters, it will be very enjoyable. But like yeah. Thomas said, the first two chapters is like the first eighty pages. So right. The but, first three yeah, chapters I, um, would be what like the first hundred and twenty pages. Yeah, thereabouts. But so it, it's definitely an investment, but. Uh, my way of looking at it was uh, this is like a 20 book series mm -hmm. so uh, technically speaking I guess if you get all this information out at the very front then that's like 19 and a half more books that you can read without necessarily needing it reiterated right and I get that sure but I kept during those chapters I kept trying I kept being like maybe Maybe I'll have that moment like I did in a, a Clockwork Orange where like, you know, a Clockwork Orange, they're using all of this like British slang. Yeah. And like it's it's almost it's almost uh, incomprehensible. But once you get through chapter one, you're good for the rest of the book, because like chapter one, like you can basically figure out what all of it means and then you're good for the right. rest of the book. But, like, I never had that happen. Like, I still don't know what a four-top gallant is. Yeah, there's, like, a chart at the very front of the edition of the book that I read. Uh -huh. But I didn't really consult it that much because, much like you said, I just sort of took it on good faith that all the technical jargon made sense in context. Yeah. Like, um, uh, yeah. So, reading the reading this book... Reminded me of a lot of when I tried to read uh, Ken Follett's uh, Pillars of the Earth. Oh, yeah. Because, like, the first, I don't know, 
quarter, one third of Pillars of the Earth is a uh, descriptions of churches. Okay. Like excruciating detail about churches. For sure. It, like to the point that like I was just like I can't finish this book. To be fair though, I did try uh, to read Pillars of the Earth while uh, there was state testing going on, and yeah. it was like ten years ago. So. Okay. Yeah, I've never read uh, Pillars of the Earth, but um, I've feel like I've heard, I've gotten heard like recommendations for it. But yeah, I uh, I tell you what it reminded me of. I you know I read that book, uh, The Queen's Gambit last year about yeah. chess. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of chess jargon in that book, and I never really was able to penetrate most of it. Mm -hmm. But you just sort of like take it in stride and just sort of vibe to the energy of the scene at any given moment. Right. And I was able to uh, to get by on that. And I feel like there was a similar uh, gear that I sort of operated on when I was going through with this read. Um, I have two more things to say about like the first third of, of the book. And sure. one of them is like a big part of... Okay, so the way that I read is I'm like, okay, if I can, even if I don't know what this word means, if I can pronounce it, I'll be good. Like, I'm okay with, like, kind of skipping over that word and, like, just keep going. I'm like, I'll figure out what this stuff is, like, through context clues later. Right. But when they're describing things, like, there's that word, I have no, I've got no freaking clue how you would say it. It's like, uh, what is it, like F-O apostrophe C apostrophe S-L-E or something? Oh, for forecastle? Oh my God, is that what that means? I mean, I that's what I pronounced, that's what I presumed the, uh, the asterisk, uh, not the asterisk, the, um, that sort of style of abbreviation. Because in... You're like, <laughs> yes. Because in my brain, I'm like, okay, it's the foxhole. And I'm like, I don't know what yeah. a foxhole is. And I don't even know if that's right. So, like, I got, I kept getting hung up on that word. But then there's also, like, a bunch of other, like, when there's they're talking about certain masts or they're talking about certain sails. And it's, like, a word, sure. apostrophe, S-L-E, or apostrophe, L-S. Yes. Like, that is not a contraction system that I am familiar with. So, I'm just like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I get you. It made me feel dumb. I'm not a stupid person, but that made me feel dumb. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, I, I wasn't totally like cognizant of all the machinations that were at play. I just sort of like took it in stride. Um, so there was that part of it. And then, oh gosh, what was the second thing I was going to say? I can't recall. I, I don't... There was two things. One of them I knew was about the apostrophes. Oh, I, okay. So, um, another thing that this book reminded me of, or at least like the first part where they're going into all those descriptions, is um, in the Bible, when the Bible is describing Noah building the ark. Yes. Like, in my brain, I was just like, oh, okay, this is like Noah building the ark. I don't know what any of this stuff means, but... You just kind of have to get through it. Oh, yeah. That's cool. That checks out. Uh, I 
read I read uh, uh, Moby Dick a couple years back, mm-hmm. and that is a book too that really loads you down with some like nautical jargon, and like rather notoriously, there's like a whole twenty-page chapter about just the anatomy of whales mm. uh, in that book. So maybe I've just sort of had an inoculation against like that kind of like density of information where you almost it's almost like you're reading a textbook yeah did you ever have like existential crises reading textbooks in high school no but if i'm being honest i didn't read to my i didn't read my textbooks yeah i just uh i was like if the teacher can't i just have this vivid vivid memory of reading some social studies textbook in the uh auditorium at the new for at the new high school that i uh went to and just not being able to penetrate any of it and just being so like despairing in terms of like knowing that i'm studying this stuff and i'm presumably going to be moving forward with my education and just the thought of like having to engage with all this information that is just seemingly so beyond me. Yeah. And then and then eventually you get it. Like it's sort of it's basically like developing a muscle where it is the more information you take in, the more capable you become of like uh processing it and what all. Yeah. Um Yeah. I kind of like when I was in middle and high school Like, I remember very distinctly remembering, like, if my teacher in middle or high school assigned reading that was not, like, a separate book from, like, I don't know, the issued textbook, then I considered myself to have no homework. Okay. Because I was like, because I don't know that I consciously thought this, but now looking back on it, I was like, oh, well, I did that because, um... I, you know, at the time, I guess I was kind of like, if I can't learn the material based on what is presented in class and use my textbook as just like a resource, then I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do this reading that you're telling me to do. And unfortunately, and like that kind of carried on over to like college and like for undergraduate, I could get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. And then that I tried to carry that over to grad school, and it don't work for grad school. Yeah. Like, you gotta read stuff for grad school. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, uh, I have this metaphor I use. You remember that game Guitar Hero? Yeah. Well, in Guitar Hero, there are four difficulty levels. There's easy, medium, hard, and expert, mm-hmm. basically. And on the little, like, peripheral guitar controller that you play the game with... There are the five buttons that you push. Right. To play through the songs. Well, on easy difficulty, you push three of those buttons. Yep. And on medium difficulty, you press four. And on hard and expert, you use five. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, you can push, like, three and four buttons with just one hand. Right. But then, obviously, uh, excluding the thumb, which isn't how it's designed to work, you can't push all five buttons just like statically yeah so you have to get in the practice of moving your hand up and down the guitar fret and uh like 
remembering where each button is relative to what finger you've got on it. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, the the gulf in difficulty between medium and hard was so much vaster than hard and expert. Right. And that's the, the framework I took to uh, high school and college and grad school, where the difficulty gulf from high school to college mm-hmm. was so much vaster for me than it was from undergrad to master's or graduate. Yeah. And and uh, maybe, maybe it's because, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, well, I, I kind of feel like the opposite. So, like, for me, um, the difference between high school and college was not as jarring as it was from undergraduate to grad. Um, and I, but I think that may be because like I spent a little bit more time outside of school than you did between undergrad and grad. Sure. Cause you graduated yep. from undergrad two years after me. And then we started our graduate programs at the same time. So by the time we started our grad programs, I had been out of school for four years and I'd been out of school for just under two. Right. Right. So, yeah, that could be a part of it. Also, I, we uh, went into different specialties. Yeah. So, like, when I went to grad school for film studies, I was still essentially in a uh, a uh, liberal arts program, whereas you went to grad school for education. Yeah, so, so I, was I, kind of, like... I was kind of thrown into, I mean... Yeah, I was thrown into more of like a social science environment that I was not originally anticipating. Sure. Whereas, like, I feel like I still had a lot of my, uh, a lot of the tool, uh, the tools that I'd acquired at undergrad at mm-hmm. my disposal. So, yeah. So, um, but, getting um, back to the book... <laughs> Yeah, getting back to the book, uh, after those first three chapters, it's, it, it, it levels out. It does. It levels out. It picks up. And um, you kind of start to... Now, it, I will admit, it was hard for me to um, sometimes keep like the secondary characters straight. Sure. I like, feel I'd like... be reading along, and they talk about, like, like for example, like Mr. Marshall starts to like make a significant appearance, and I'm like, who the heck is this guy? Yeah. Have well, I, have I like... met this person yet? Yeah, and I feel like uh, outside the just those three main characters, the captain, the doctor, and the lieutenant. Yeah. You feel like uh, those are sort of the main uh, anchors for a lot of the plot lines in the story. Mm-hmm. So you can just sort of operate on vagaries where everybody else is concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Have we even talked about what this book is for, like, the listener? <laughs> no. Yeah, okay. Well, this is the first uh, book in a series uh, called Aubrey and Mark Torin. It uh, stars Jack Aubrey, who is an aspiring captain in uh, the British Navy, uh, circa 1800s, sometimes thereabout. Um, it's it's and, like 1800 uh, to 1801. Yes. Right, so, yeah, the turn of the century. Yeah. And... Um, so he, he gets appointed captain of this ship, and as part of his crew, he takes on this 
sort of down-and-out doctor named Stephen Marturin. And uh, they, like, set sail, and Stephen's never been a ship's doctor before, so this is all, like, he's sort of the um, the uh, audience surrogate, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of, like, introducing you to, uh, like, a new world and new concepts. And then, of course, there's the lieutenant, whose name is Dylan, something Dylan? James. James Dylan. that's it. So, uh, and James Dillon and Stephen both know each other. Like, they're both Irish, they both have a history together that uh, Captain Aubrey is unaware of. So, there's, like, a bit of intrigue where that's concerned. Especially once... Um, concepts of conflicting loyalties come into play but uh a lot of the i guess a lot of like the interpersonal drama of the book takes place along those three vectors of uh aubrey and dylan dylan and marturin marturin and aubrey mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and then of course and and then alongside and around all that you've got like high seas adventure stuff, ship battles, and uh, uh, that's like various like goings ons. Okay, and one of my earbuds just died. Hello. I'm here. I'm still here. I can still hear you. Okay, I can. Yeah, I can still hear you through the one that I got. I don't know why this one earbud keeps crapping out on me. Is I it think your I just right need one? To buy some new ones. It's the left one. Oh, okay. Because my right earbud yeah. always dies before my left one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know Maybe either. Maybe I just need to try charging them longer. But, like, when I put them in before we recorded, it said that the left one only had a half charge. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't... Why it's not going getting full. Quick note, speaking of earbuds, do you remember my earbuds that I was, like, really upset about that I lost? Yes. I found them. That's cool. Yeah. Where were they? Uh, they were next to my bed under a bunch of stuff. Oh, sure. Now, hey, yeah, I, I look around my room. I could totally lose some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also... So, did did Aubrey give you, like, Golden Retriever Gamer Boy vibes? <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of... <laughs> I got that, yeah. He's, like, definitely, like, that sort of... And then that like sort of vibe, yeah. And then like Marturin was kind of like, like in my head, like anytime Marturin said anything, I was like, yeah, we would be friends. Like you would be that weird kid that I'd be like, yeah, that's my friend, and we would bring him home, and mom and dad would be like, God, that kid is weird, but we like we'd be friends. Oh yeah, like he's always like experimenting with animals on the boat. Yeah. And uh, weird, weirding out the crew. Yeah, just saying like just weird stuff and the. I love that scene where I don't, I don't, I don't even know what he's talking about, but he's just like ruminating to himself and there's like two people up there on the quarter deck with him and they're looking at each other and they're just like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I like the, that whole sequence of, um, like just him like being off on his own. I guess they sort of. This book's got an interesting way of spooling out information where, like, certain dramatic uh, events will take place 
and only their full implication or nature will only be revealed by and by. Yeah. So there's a lot of like ellipsis in terms of like characters talking around like bits of information that the reader isn't immediately privy to. Yeah. And I found I always find that to be an interesting sort of dynamic for storytelling. You know, I was surprised when I looked at the copyright date on this book because I thought this book was written like, I thought this book was written in like the 30s. Really? So when I, so when I looked at the copyright date and I saw it was like, you know, 6970. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, first book was written in 1969. Yeah. There's like, like I said, 20 books in the series. The last completed book, number 20, was published in the year 2000. Yep. So he was writing these books for the better part of 30 years. Yep. And then I uh, don't know when he passed away, but obviously it was had to have been before finishing the, the 21st book, So, which that one wasn't published until uh, 2004. Was that published with like so, a co-author? Uh, it looks like it's shorter than the other ones, so okay. yeah, I think they've got a accredited, uh, maybe a co-author here, or maybe just like, maybe it's one of those things where like they just sort of cut the story off at a certain point. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, because there was an el- there was an element to the writing that made me feel like this book was written earlier than it was, where. The sequence of events, like there was no separation. So it would be like, like kind of go, so going back to that scene where Marturian is up like at the bird's nest with a mowl and like in the same paragraph, it's not, there's not even two separate paragraphs in the same paragraph. They are in the bird's nest and then they were then, and then they are like back on the deck. Yes. Like, there is no transition between positions. Yeah, oh, sure. And that happened multiple times, and to me, that just seemed like a very outdated writing style, which made me think that it was written way earlier than 69. Yeah, I do get the feeling that the author was sort of going for, like, an archaic sort of... I mean, it's sort of makes sense for the subject matter like maybe if you grow up on stories of uh that time period and are drawing from historical accounts yeah of those events that you're probably going to be keying into like a headspace that evokes that sort of voice yep all right but yeah that was uh that was master and commander by uh patrick o'brien have you ever heard of or seen the movie no. Uh, now, it, like, upon doing, like, upon doing, like, a Wikipedia search of this book, like, that's when I realized, because I remember, I remember that a movie had come out called Master and Commander that had um, Russell Crowe in it, but I did not realize yeah. that that movie was loosely based on this book. Yeah, well, technically, it looks like it's loosely based on two of them, because it's called Master and Commander, Far Side of the World. And those are each, like, the titles of different books in the series. Okay. So it sounds like they took the, um, the, like, the one and the other and just sort of mushed them together. Okay. 
I remember, and, though, uh, when the trailer came out for that movie, and I remember being like, I want to see that, and I just never saw it. Yeah, it was right around the time, I think, that uh, that Pirates of the Caribbean was taking off. Yeah. Or, wait, when, when was Pirates of the Caribbean, now that I think of it? Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, 2003, actually, they came out in the same year. So, I don't know if, uh, how the, if the Pirates movie getting made sort of helped spur the production of Master and Commander or what, or if it's just one of those things, because you don't, it's weird how many TV shows are based around this period in time with, like, old ships and such, versus yeah. how many movies get made. Mm-hmm. All right, but that was Master and Commander. We both grit it. We've both got those word totals applied. Yep. So now... Let's say we get into our current stats. Okay. Uh, so, so I like I read three books: Master and Commander, Hard to Be a God, and The Passenger. And uh, those three books worth of word totals bring my uh, current uh, total word words read to from one million twenty-five thousand one hundred fifty-four to 1,337,986. All right, and then what's that put your percentage as? Well, I am uh, about uh, 30% of the way towards my reading uh, word total for last year. Mm -hmm. And at this same time last year, I was 250,000 words uh, uh, below where I am now. Okay. Yeah, so I'm a full quarter of a million words ahead. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Um. And uh, how about you? So I've read five. I read five books. The four of the the. Anyway, the Dragon People series, and then Master and Commander, um, for a subtotal of three hundred ninety-five thousand three hundred nineteen, which brings my current like year to date total up to 2,637,676 words um which puts my percentage at like where I am now compared to my end of year total from last year I'm currently sitting at 26%. All right. That's cool. Yeah. We're both making our smoking both making our way in the world today. And uh now we just got one last thing to take care of, which is the next assigned reading challenge. Yep. What you got? So, yeah. So, about a month, uh, I guess six weeks back now, you assigned me to read uh, Harlem Shuffle mm -hmm. on the basis that, on, on the on the partial basis rather, that it was a book you picked up at that big Barnes and Noble sale last year. Yeah. Well, I picked up a book at that same sale. And it's one that I've been wanting to dig into, and I'm going to take this chance, and you're going to come along with me. Okay. As we read The Lincoln Highway by Amor Towles, and he is the author of one of my favorite books from last year, which was uh, The Gentleman in Moscow. Oh, okay. So The Lincoln Highway, yeah, so The Lincoln Highway, uh, just a heads up, it is a uh, about a cross-country trip uh through america uh, in 1954 looks like there's a train involved or something uh not totally clear but um 
big fan of the author's previous work, so I'm looking forward to checking it out. Yeah. Oh, and uh, just a heads up, I no, I swear I'm not consciously choosing large books, like uh, on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like the last, like uh, Master Commander, the version I had was like 410 pages, uh, pretty tight font. Yeah. Uh, this book is not as uh, densely uh, packed into the page, but it is still uh, 570 pages. All right. Thanks for the heads up. So, yeah, definitely one to stay on top of in the weeks to come. All right. But, uh, yeah, that just about does it for us today. Uh, when we get back in a couple weeks' time, we'll be uh, looking to talk about the short story collection your ad could be here. Uh, who was the author of that, Elizabeth? Oksana Zabutsko. All right. Yep. And you can check that book out uh, in advance if you want to follow along. But in the meanwhile, you can uh, or you, you could tell us where it. they can find us. Or you can purchase it. Yes. That's yeah, defo. Support a, support a Ukrainian author. Yes. And uh, until next time, Elizabeth, you want to let them know where they can look us up? Yeah, so you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Literally Club um, at Your Words Podcast. You can also find our website at your, yourwordspodcast.com, and you can email us uh, questions, comments, and suggestions at yourwordspodcast at gmail.com. Yep, and we uh, ask that you give us a rate and review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you listening. Always happy to have... Uh, you along for this ride? It's been a good talk as always, Elizabeth. Yep, it sure has been. And now it is that time of the week, once again, where we look at you and say goodbye.